2016, the A&E Network had filmed and edited an eight-episode series about Scientology that has never aired. We've always been curious about this show, produced by Sirens Media, and the person who was meant to be its presenter and star. So in this limited podcast series, we're talking to some of the people who were involved in it. In the first two episodes, we talked to Phil Jones and Derek Block about the episodes they were in that tried to reunite them with loved ones who had disconnected from them according to Scientology policy. Today, we're talking to Carol Nyberg about her experience in Scientology as a familiar figure at the Flag land base. And as she explains to us, some of her experiences were happy ones, particularly with Scientology celebrities. But she too suffered from disconnection, which was going to be the subject of her Sirens episode. What we didn't know, and what Carol sprung on us, was the surprising new development in her story that we really did not see coming. Yes, we're reporting breaking news here in this episode, and we hope you find it as stunning as we did. Carol Nyberg, thank you so much for joining me on this special series. Um, I'm I'm really excited that you are going to help me out with this. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm excited about it also. I think it's... uh... It's a. It's really nice to finally get this, you know, acknowledged. Well, you know, we did write about it some several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we all had hopes then that uh, it was going to air at some place, sometime. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, gosh, five years have gone by and no, no news at all. But um, I, I wanted to learn more about it because we just, you know, talking also to some of the others, I realized there's a lot that went on that I didn't know about. Yeah. And and just let's first uh, before we talk about the siren show, let's review a little bit. I, I'm I'm sure there are some people that's been a while since they saw your story. Sure, yeah. I mean, the number one thing that I heard when I first heard about you, Carol, was that when you went to Flag and Flag, real quick, is the spiritual mecca for Scientology in Clearwater, Florida. And no matter where you're a Scientologist in the world, you have to go to Flag to get certain upper level things. And so you have to fly to Tampa. You have to check into the hotel. And the person that you saw that was making sure you had a room and got you checked in and got your courses all lined up was the friendly face of Carol Nyberg, right? That was your role, right? That's right. Yep. And how long were you doing that? Well, I was was at FLAG for 26 years. And my last 12 years, I was the registrar. It means that people paid me for their rooms and I got them the room. Prior to that, I was running the hotel. I was the commanding officer for a while of, of the hotel and, um, and then just running all the front desks. So I would be the first person most people saw. And up until the very end, people said, when are you going to go back on the front desk? We want you back on the front desk, you know? So it really... It, it was good for my stats because I knew so many people, you know, I got, I uh, got their trust and, you know, they would pay me, uh, which is, was my job. And um, yeah, so I, you know, I, the public were amazing and they appreciated the CR members so much that, you know, it really made it like tenable, you know, like it made it easier to be there. I mean, you wanted to be there. If you were a Sea Org member in those days, you wanted to be there. It wasn't like, 
oh my gosh, I have to go through another day. I mean, you know, we were in it, you know, and it was, and most everybody was going in the same direction and we, we liked what we were doing. So Carol, besides welcoming public to flag, you also dealt with celebrities. I did quite a bit. Yeah. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about some of them. What, okay. what did you observe? Well, you know, you, I heard in an earlier podcast of yours about Juliette Lewis, you know, I went, the first time I met her uh, was when she was coming off drugs. She had done a, a program, I, I guess with Narconon and her, her hair was pink. I remember that she just filmed, you know, something and it was kind of a big deal. And, and, um, Brandy was always with her, her sister and, and God bless her. I mean, she was always really so there for, for Juliet. But anyway, I remember when she came, we were all had to go through Juliet's luggage, you know, everything, you know, and I, I this was new for me because I didn't know anything about that cult, the, the drugs and how this was handled. And, you know, you have, you can't trust them at that point. And you have to make sure that you search everything to make sure there's no drugs. So that was done. And, um, and then we were told, uh, that I guess she was dating Brad Pitt at the time. So we were told, well, you know, a call might come in for, you know, just be prepared for that. And you put it right through. And so anyway, that was just a little tidbit, but you know, uh, Juliet, she was very nice. Brandy was delightful. And, you know, the th one thing I, as a registrar for celebrities, uh, I always knew when someone, whoever it was coming to town, they were going to stay. I said, oh my God, yay, I'm going to be an affluence. I mean, my stats are going to be way up because I was paying me a lot of money, you know? Right. So that was really nice. And that was, um, that was once with Jenna Elfman. It was uh, late at night and, um, just before I left, I got this check for $20,000 and I was just over the moon from Jenna <clears throat> and it was uh, so exciting. And I remember it was really late at night and I went home and I was just jumping all around. So it was really exciting. And, um, but Jenna, um, this was right after her TV series, I guess, you know, she just wasn't friendly. Now, Bodie was really friendly, really nice, and uh, just fun to be around all the time. But Jenna, you know, one day, it's funny because one time she walked in and she came right up to me and gave me a big hug. And well, this is really out of character. And I, she kind of stood back and I, I, you, you know, you can see what's going on in somebody's face. And she realized she had hugged the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, she didn't say that, but I knew that because I, I, she didn't hug me. I'm just a registrar, you know, anyway, she, um, that's all. I'm not going to say anything negative, but she, she, uh, just wasn't super friendly. And let me just point out that you were so excited that Jenna Elfman had given you a check for $20,000, but of course it wasn't for you. It was for Scientology. Right, right, right. And this is when you were getting paid $50 a week. If you were paid anything at all. Right. $50 a week. Yeah. So, yeah. That, um, that made you excited for the church that you had done yes. that for them, right? Yes. Now on um, Elizabeth Moss, I first met her when she was three years old and she, she came out to the QI, which is where the staff lived. And she did a ballet 
a little ballet uh, recital for, for all the kids, which I thought was pretty cool. And because she she was known for doing ballet at that time. I think she even did ballet at the um, uh, uh, New York. I can't remember now. All, you know, mm, you know what I'm talking about on 57th Street. Um, the big. Uh, anyway, she Carnegie Hall. Thank you. OK, but um, but Ron Moss, her dad, that's how I knew Elizabeth. OK, Ron Moss would come and that was always I knew for sure I was going to have a great week because they always pay a lot of money because he, he, he managed to Korea, you know, so there was always, you know, stuff coming in for that. And, um, and, and his wife, Linda, so sweet. And she's like a top, you know, uh, harmonicist. You probably know that maybe you don't, but she plays harmonica and she's like world-class apparently. And, um, so, you know, they um, they were all just super, super, super friendly, so nice, and Elizabeth was too. I didn't get to know her very well because, you know, by the time she grew up and her career flourished, I was gone. But, um, and then one of the other ones, well, I, you know, Kel, oh, I've got to talk about Kelly Preston. Okay. So sweet. And, and uh, Kirstie Alley, they're usually there at the same time. Hmm. And they cared so much about the staff and like on Valentine's day, they would, Julie, Chris, Julie, um, Kirstie Alley liked to call it Target. You know, they go to Target and they would just get a whole big basket full of uh, little heart candy boxes, you know, and they would give them to all the staff. They would go into your office and hand it to you. It wasn't just like, here, take this, take this. No, they personalized it. They wanted to let you know how much they really appreciated you and how much you cared and gave every staff member a little box of chocolates, which I thought was really, really sweet. And Kirstie Alex also really, really liked to go buy big, corny uh, blow up things for Christmas. Like, you know, this, they're usually pretty gaudy, you know, like big uh, um, snowman and, and um, Santa Clauses. And I have to tell you, at the Sandcastle, they're very particular about how they decorate it. <laughs> I mean, everybody has to have exactly this and exactly that, and it's got to be perfect. Right. Well, not Kirstie wants just fun. She wants it to be fun and big and loud. So she would do it herself. She'd go out at night and blow, get these things blown up, you know, and put them all around. Security, nobody could say a word because it was Kirstie Alley that did it. And so it was hilarious, and it was super, super fun. And Kirstie Alley, she loves birds. When she would come to the Sandcastle, she would always sit at a table that looked out at a tree so she could look at birds. And if the bird got hurt, she brought it into her room mm. in a box and, and you know, a, a pillowcase or something. And Or she'd try to find a, a sanctuary that could take care of birds, you know, or she would nurse it back to health. She was solely into it. And... Um, uh, Lisa Marie, I don't know if I should mention her, but she, she was so, so, so nice. And this is back when I was still on the front desk. I hadn't become a registrar yet. I actually got married on my lunch hour one day. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm getting married on my lunch hour. Well, she, you know, I was kind of one of her main people that when she came down to the front desk, I, you know, took care of her and stuff. And 
she walked up to me that day and she said, um, did you just get married on your lunch hour? And I go, yeah. <laughs> she just flipped out over it. She loved it. And she gave us a um, um, espresso machine <laughs> for wow. a wedding present. Isn't that cool? I got a wedding present from Lisa Marie. Anyway, she was super, super nice. And, um, and my daughter used to play with her daughter all the time. They used to go on these outings all the time. And, you know, they just had toads. I don't know how my daughter managed to get her warmer way into that group, but she did. And um, so that was pretty cool. Anyway, just nice people have a lot of nice things to say about them. Oh, you know what? You, you were talking about Beck recently. Yeah. The first time he came to flag, uh, it was completely confidential. Nobody was to know about it. Mm. Me, I didn't know until later. And it was like clouded in secrecy. Nobody was talking about it. Special rooms were set up in the sandcastle, special like um, classrooms for him, a course room just for him. Wow. And uh, so that was then. And then when he came again, I got to know his wife, which I guess they're not together anymore, but cutest kids and the nicest wife, Marissa Rabisi. Right. Giovanni's uh, twin sister. Right. And uh, anyway, um, it, it was just such an experience. Again, I never got to meet back, of course, but, you know, we finally were admitting who he was. <laughs> but Marissa was just, uh, she was amazing. So I have to say that was, uh, it was really nice getting to know those people. And, oh, and John Travolta, I have to tell you about John Travolta. This is a story <laughs> um, that nobody would ever know and probably never will unless they listen to this podcast. But this was <laughs> so early in the 80s, right? Um, probably 84, okay, maybe 85. And he was coming to flag for the first time. He ended, nobody knew exactly how he was going to get there because the way we handle celebrities, I mean, you know, when we came into our own as a, as a, an organization, right? We always picked him up in limos. You know, we had special drivers and they get all the top treatment. Every celebrity that comes to town, they get picked up you know, by a town car and the whole nine yards. Well, this was early on. None of that was happening. And he, he drove up to the front door of flag. Of course, it didn't look like it, it does now in a taxi cab. <laughs> and he, John Travolta gets out of the taxi, comes through the front door. Well, at my job at that time, my post was commanding officer of the Fort Harrison hotel. So I said, Oh my God, that goes to me. I have to take care of him, you know? So I went to him and I go, you know, welcome. I welcomed him. And I took him up to the, we were expecting him, of course, but we took him up to the um, penthouse in uh, the Fort Harrison. And there was a lady also that kind of was the caretaker of, of that room. Her name is Elsa. You may have heard of her. I don't know. She since passed away. But anyway, so the two of us sat down and just chatted with John Travolta about whatever. And, um, and then Asa made him a special chocolate cake. So every time he came, he asked for that chocolate cake for, made by her. So that was a little tidbit. But anyway, it was really, really a cool story. And then he he did uh, he went to the event that we were having, um, whatever event it was at the time. I don't remember. But anyway, it was uh, he performed. He didn't perform. He but he 
was there and you know it was a big deal to meet him and all that stuff and so when he left uh to go home you know to leave to check out asa and i were upstairs in the penthouse folding his clothes putting all his stuff together helping him get ready and he i hadn't really paid attention to what he was wearing he was just you know but he was in his tidy whities and he came out of the bathroom and gave me a huge hug and <laughs> a big hug it was just hilarious i go um what do we say? hello john Travolta just hugged me in his tidy whities anyway it was hilarious I, you know it's nothing i told anybody at the time because i just said okay, he's here and I'm supposed to be his person for right now. You know, the, we didn't really have a president at that time or the, it was a new job that was happening, a new post that was coming into being at, at flag. And, um, so that was how he, and then when he would come other times, of course, then he got picked up. He also had his, his, uh, Mustang, the classic Mustang. Right. And he would drive that from the, uh, Clearwater airport, you know, cause he would fly in. Of what you know when he started flying in and keep his car and he'd drive it so he gave me the keys one night he says can you go fill it up for me so i got to drive his car <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool so that's probably a good place to end off there. well so you so the upshot is that there were some years there where you were the face of the fort harris hotel oh, yeah. fort harrison hotel yeah. People came in, including celebrities, and you had some good times before things got strange, before things got awful. Yeah. You had some years there where you really enjoyed your job and you got to work with some big celebrities. Yeah. 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 Like I said, John Travolta, very, very personable, very nice. Oh, I got one little more story for him on John Travolta. Um, in the Sandcastle, you know, when I was a registrar, they built me a really nice office. I have to say that was pretty, pretty nice. They built a nice little office. It was right near reception going out into, uh, you know, the public areas. And he was walking down the hall and he noticed that I had a brand new office and he just stepped right in the doorway. He filled the whole doorway. He's a big guy. And he put his hands on his hips and he looked at me and he just gave me a big thumbs up. I thought, wow, that was pretty cool. And, um, one other nice little thing that they did one night, uh, John Travolta, Kelly, and Ella came into the lobby of the Fort Harris, uh, not the Fort Harrison, of the Sandcastle. There was a piano there. He starts playing the piano, and and then I guess Kelly too. They were playing, and then they were singing and dancing. Private show right there in the Sandcastle. They were having a family moment. It was just so nice and so sweet, and they were just so talented and they were just going to town singing and dancing and playing the piano that's great that well, i'm nice. glad you had those experiences yeah me too but then things kind of got really strange yes they went sideways and it was just it was too much i mean the one thing that haunts me is this description you you wrote at one time that there was some new initiative under david leader david miscavige and after a full day of work, uh, oh, yeah. try, trying to sell people on all these packages and stuff, at like midnight or two o'clock in the morning, you were doing calisthenics in the <laughs> office. What was that about? Well, I'll tell you what, that was, I would had more fear during that time than any other time in my whole Scientology you know, career. It was because I, 
everything that you normally did was backed up by something that Ron Hubbard wrote. Okay, and you could read it and you could see, okay, this is what happened and this is how you end it. This is how you get out of it. And there's nothing written about boot. It's called boot camp. And uh, my first experience with boot camp was I was coming out of the Sandcastle Hotel. It was about 11 o'clock at night and there were a hundred or more people walking down the street and they were all staff members in uh qual qual the, which is supposed to be quality control right from all over the base i mean maybe it wasn't 100 it looked like mob and they were all on boot camp and doing hard labor all around the sandcastle and i was shocked i was like what is that it looked like a really bad you know a scene from a really bad movie and i said i don't want any part of that i don't want to ever know about it i don't want to i don't want to end up being there and well, within, I don't know how much out past that, I was there with all the registrars on the whole base, even the, you know, except for the FSO staff members, it was all the registrars and that included the ship, um, you know, and, and uh, for um, superpower. I mean, all the high rollers, everybody, IAS regs, we were all doing this after, you know, after, after midnight, after 11, we got together and had to do these exercises and then close order drilling, you know, which is like, you know, left, right. And if you went left when you're supposed to go right, you had to drop right there and do, you know, um, 10 push ups, and uh, right there in your spot. <laughs> so it was, it was intimidating. And if and there you, was, and you were, you were 60 years old. I know. Yeah, I, that's right. I was. And, you know, and, and I didn't get much exercise. So I didn't, you know, it just was, it was not, you know, a nice, it wasn't nice. It wasn't invigorating. It wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't cool. <laughs> and then, yeah, then we would go, um, you know, out to, to one of the birthing places or someplace where the work was needed. And they had us like with sledgehammers sometimes and just doing, they made these things up what to do. There wasn't any like project. It was just like hit this and dig this out and do this. And that was till probably three o'clock in the morning. And then they drive us home. And, and so this is the kind of thing that finally led you to, to decide yeah. to leave. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, this is the price you pay in Scientology is that you left and your daughter who, who was, who had been in the Sea Org, but was no longer. So she's what's called a public yeah. Scientologist. That's right. Uh, was then instructed to cut you out of her life. And, and she had one or two uh, children at that point. She had two, two at that point. And then I guess, yeah, the, the third one was born in 2012 and that was when, I got, I didn't get to see her, but I got to talk to her about it and see pictures. And then, then my declare came and she cut ties with me. So Scientology declared you a suppressive person, which basically makes you officially an enemy of the church and all Scientologists who want to remain in good standing have to cut you out of their lives entirely, even your own daughter. Right. So that's the background. And like so many other people, you had suffered this disconnection 
simply because you decided not to do calisthenics at two o'clock in the morning anymore. <laughs> right. And so tell me about when this TV show came calling. How did that start? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I got this email one day or a, a phone call, maybe. I don't remember. And started telling me about this. I could tell it wasn't, you know, a scam or, you know, a prank or anything like that by what they were saying. And plus, um, they, they were going to pair me up with this girl from Russia who, who I remembered very well because she was about the age of my daughter. And uh, so I knew her and, you know, they wanted us to kind of merge our stories together, right? And so, Katrina Reyes, right? Right, Katrina, right. And I knew her mother. Her, her mother was, was running the Sandcastle. And um, so I, I knew her job. I had worked with her a lot. And she was, you know, she was really a good CR member. And I was like, okay, so what's this about, right? And so that's a whole nother story, right? But um, so they said, yeah, we want, you know, you to come down to Clearwater. We're going to do this, this story on, um, you know, on you with your daughter and this and Katrina with her mother, you know, trying to see her mother. I'm trying to see my daughter. So you know, we had all, all these dynamics covered, right? And um, so I hopped on a plane eventually and went down there. I was down there close to three weeks. I mean, it was a while. Yeah. And um, and you want to hear something really nutty. Okay, I stayed at a hotel in St. Petersburg, right? Right. Um, somehow, uh, when I got off the plane, I was walking, you know, when you get off a plane, what's the first thing you do? You go to the bathroom, right? So I did that and I come out and I run smack into, uh, it's okay for me to say names, Jenny DeVock. Yeah. Jenny, Jenny DeVock, very famous name. Yeah. Jenny, you know, Lins Jenny Linson, I believe is her name. Right, name. right. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I see her and she's not carrying, you know, when you're in that part of the airport, just getting off a plane, you've got suitcases or at least a handbag or something you're carrying she was carrying nothing no purse no briefcase nothing she was just walking yeah um, you know you're, you're supposed to have a ticket to be in that area the same yeah. thing happened in, in los angeles when she oh. confronted marty rathbun somehow jenny and some of these other osa operatives from from scientology are able to get past that Wow. And so she, she was in this quarantine area, basically, with yeah. you in the airport. She had no luggage or anything. That's crazy. Yep. So I look at her, and I'm look, I'm like staring because I'm like, what? And so I figure she must have seen me because I, I looked back, and she turned around and looked at me. She didn't say anything. She didn't approach me, but she saw me, and I said, what does that mean? I, I, I still had the possibly she didn't know that I was there. But anyway, um, so so we get checked in and we get the idea. I don't know who got the idea that, that we were being tailed, being followed, or somebody had the idea that, you know, they were looking for us, uh, or, you know, trying to see who, who was at the hotel. So but when I when they picked me up to go, uh, I guess it was the next morning when we went to go film. Um, what, what ended up happening, long story short, was they had, they had to put a, a blanket or a cloak over me to get into the car because 
people were following us and they didn't want anybody to see who that I was there. Now, now Carol, before you had flown out to Clearwater, had you already done some filming back at your home? No, no, that all came so, later. So this, this was the first filming you were doing? Yes. Okay, yes. that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, that was maybe two or three times going back to this location they had to put a cloak over me to get in in and out of the car. Wow. And um, yeah, and then um, then I guess one of the girls that was like working with the production crew, you know, like a gopher type person, right? Uh, I don't know what you call it, proper uh, nicer name than that. But anyway, um, she she got followed. She was leaving. She was like the last person out of the that that filming area, and she got in her car. And I guess she was either done for the night or going somewhere or going to come back or something, but she, you know, they were following her. So she just kept driving. She just kept driving and driving and driving. She had to go to the bathroom. She had to get food. You know, she, how am I going to handle this? You know? And so I guess she finally reached somebody in the crew to, um, to have a stop point to, to get direction, how to handle that. Right. Wow. But, and then we had to change locations after that. So because, because they knew that you were there. They knew, well, they suspected whether they knew for sure. I don't know. Yeah, they, they were tailing us. Yeah. So that was a little cloak and dagger story. <laughs> so what was the plan? What did they told you was going to be your part of the episode? Well, nobody really, we didn't talk about what was actually going to happen. It just started happening, you know, no. and Jamie was there. I met Jamie and, um, and he introduced himself as L. Ron Hubbard's great grandson or great, great. I mean, you know, a great yeah. grandson at least. And I go, really? You know, and then I could see it and I saw he he's really talented and he's really out there. And you could see he's a huge personality. And but he was but I, I really I immediately liked him, you know, and it wasn't like he was off putting or anything. He really like included you into his space. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, how are you feeling? Here you are. And Scientology did so much to disrupt your life. And I'm, you know, Ron Hubbard's great grandson, you know, do you hate me? Or, you know, do you have some feelings? And I said, of course not. And I said, you're who you are. And I said, I'm so glad that you're going to shed some light on this because it needs to be told. And that, you know, that you are a descendant of his and you're doing something really good with your talent you know? And so that's how that started. And things just kept going from, you know, from there. Uh, the first thing that we did was to try to get a, find uh, Katrina's mother or, you know, cause she was at the sandcastle, but I mean, find her meaning, how do we penetrate getting into the sandcastle so they can actually meet and talk okay. which was practically impossible. So it was, I, I, became helpful in that I knew the schedules, you know, I'd done that job. I, I kind of knew the comings and goings of who was going where oh. it might happen. So we, we kind of, you know, I was, I was, that's what we did for the first couple of days was just plan this out. And, um, then we drove around, you know, kind of scoping things out and she, they, they made some attempts to meet her mom and um, none of them worked. And she finally eventually 
went into the sandcastle, uh, there's a coffee shop, like when you first walk in the door, and that's where she went. And she found her mom, and they 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 communicated, but it was not good. It was not pleasant. It was uh, basically get out of my life. I mean, I'm very shortening this down, but it was, that was the basic. It didn't happen, you know, and. I, I don't know if you've how recently you've talked to Kat or if you can interview her for this series, but um, you know she, from what I understand, she's kind of she had to just drop it because you how long do you beat a dead horse, you know? So what about your part of the episode? Well, then um, there was a private investigator also who uh, found out, you know her address and went to made it got a photograph to make sure that it they were tailing the right person your daughter but making sure that we you know had everything correct that we didn't go knock on somebody's door that you know we didn't know right and um so that was done and but i didn't see the picture right away but anyway they they had the picture and they were setting it up and we went to her house and i had never been to this house i had been to an a house that they lived in before, but not to this one. So I didn't know any, you know, where she was or what was happening or, you know, I wasn't even sure how old the kids were, where they were going to school. Anyway, so we set it up that I was, I had written a note and to give her, I still have it, but I don't have it to hand. And it was like to give to her, like I was supposed to go knock on the door and have her open it up. And then we'd see what her reaction was. And I said, oh, I don't like that because I think she's just going to slam the door in my face. And I said, I don't think I can handle that. But we did try that. But by the time we got to her, got to the house, she was gone, you know, because I'd been at the house and I'd seen that you can tell when there's life going on. You know, there's certain things that are happening in that area. You can tell there's somebody living there. There's people in the house. There's things going on. So we came back to go and do this meet and that place was deserted wow. like no signs of life there nothing absolutely zero so i didn't know what had happened um and we thought okay jenny devoft maybe maybe you know maybe they got to her and told her to, to move you know and i was like we just didn't know and um anyway i've since well, I, I don't know for sure what happened there. I don't know if she found out or any something else happened or whatever, but she was definitely not there. I had called my son and I said, could you please, please try to find out, you know, because he, he wasn't talking to her because he was so angry with her for not, you know, being in contact with me. And let me just let me just interrupt there to, to point sure. out so that you're when when you left. Scientology asked both your son and your daughter to cut off all contact with you and your daughter complied, but your son said, no way. He's not right. going to cut off contact with his own mother, uh, even even though the church was telling him to. So, right. the, so the son stayed in contact with you. Yes. He said, no way. You're my mom. That's not happening. So anyway, so I said, please just find out what happened. And he called back later um, to tell me that that yeah that she that she'd been moved out for temporarily i guess until i was gone um and 
actually, by the time I got that little piece of information, I was at the Dallas airport on my way home and I was standing there by that time. I was by myself because before that I had people around me all the time, including a psychologist that the sirens crew had put on the team because this, you know, these are sensitive things that people are going through. And if you have a, a, you know, a situation where you're kind of really distraught, it's kind of nice to have a person there that's kind of trained to handle that. Right. So (laughs) he's not there. Nobody's there. And I'm standing in the middle of the airport sobbing. Okay. I feel like, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, I, I don't like to ex- exhibit all my emotions in public. <laughs> I was sitting there, Whoa, you know, crying and crying. And, you know, it was just, it was just pretty awful. And, but I was able to call that guy. I had his number. So that was, that was helpful. You know, the psychologist. So there. because you had flown out there, uh, you know, you and the crew had worked out some scenarios and decided, okay, just knock on the door see what happens. And Scientology had somehow found out that you were there and they had ordered her to leave while, while you were in town. Right. Incredible. So what did the crew tell you at that point? I mean, was, did they think they still had an episode with, if Katrina couldn't see her, you know, couldn't get anything out of her mom and you didn't get to see your daughter. What were they telling you at that point? Well, that part of, of the episode for Katrina, I mean, they went through all the different steps the episode was how they tried to, to see her and how uh, much the mother did not want to see her daughter, you okay. know? So that was how, and that took a while to formulate all that. So that's how that, that part went. Um, Cause she did get out of the car. She did go in and she did try, you know, actually I think she actually actually spoke to her, but yeah. it was clear that, you know, the mother didn't want to, uh have, have her come back no you don't i don't want any part of this get out of here right and um for me we went through the whole i remember that the last day of our filming we were right we were in a motel like right across from her house so that we could see you know the coming and goings yeah. and i tried two different times to go knock on the door just in case they were you know came back or you know we missed them and um so when that all didn't pan out, uh, you know, then it was time to go home. So they, that was still, we had, there was a lot, I mean, we did a lot of talking around the table. We, we did a lot of, you know, different, um, different things, you know, we were uh, trying to work out different scenarios of how we could, you know, get in or talk to somebody or do, you know, find my daughter or whatever. And, um, so yeah, by the time I went home, I mean, there was enough information, enough, filming, I guess you'd say, you know, that they had, they had plenty of material to do the episodes. And, um, but when I, when this thing happened and I was crying and all this kind of stuff and I went home, um, then I got a, a, a call that they wanted to take, you know, do another part of another section of the episode in Los Angeles. So I flew down there uh, I guess it was, the, I was only there maybe two days tops. And, okay. uh, but we, we did a special, uh, just a single one-on-one interview, um, about my relationship with my daughter. And, you know, it was very emotional and, um, and I, and it was nicely done. It was uh, that crew. I can't say enough nice things about them. They were very compassionate. 
they're very they were, they were very compassionate they were very compassionate and very caring it wasn't like oh this is a job we have to do we have to film this and you're you know we just need to film you they got to know they they really like put some care into the whole thing because this was very touchy subjects so i have to say they were yeah they were great and so i went down there so it, we mainly was to do this interview okay and um so then i came home and i can't actually remember why but they called again and wanted to do one last scene in where i lived in my oh. home oh. Yeah. so the the uh they flew up well, of course jamie lives in the east bay and, and i'm living in the san francisco bay area so they you know he's close by you know that's where he lives I mean, anybody that knows the area. And um, so I guess for him, it was, you know, easy to just come up here. And um, they came over. They were there for a few hours and doing different, different, you know, different in different scenes on the couch, outside, on the deck, and this and that, you know, and asking me certain questions. And it was, um, it was, I think it was just how they closed it out. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing because I never saw any of it. You know, so they just kind of finished it off that way. And so it was you and Jamie talking on camera then? Uh, you know what, Jamie? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it would have just been Jamie because when they would ask me questions like the interview, they don't show the person doing the interview because that's supposed to be like, a, I guess, yeah. a, a voice, right? Right. But, um, but yeah, Jamie, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. He would be probably in, I, in probably there's several scenes with Jamie, because in the beginning, when we first started, there was a lot back and forth between Jamie and I, mm -hmm. and um, and some of the others. So you didn't go to Clearwater for this billboard thing with everybody? No, because that's what Phil was telling me about. There was um, kind of a reunion at the end. Oh no, I would have definitely done it. Okay, so all this you know, Clearwater filming, Los Angeles, and then back of your home. And you never saw any of it? No. That's a shame. Yeah, we were and, told that, that uh, A&E bought it all from Sirens. And then so Sirens didn't have it anymore. Because I, I stayed in touch for a while with some of the, some of the guys, you know. And did you hear anything? Or, I, you know, we would um, message back and forth on Facebook, you know, to Jamie, you know, have you heard anything? And... And it was, it was got to be old, like, no, <laughs> no. And so we stopped asking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. I mean, I, I totally understand A&E had such a huge hit on their hands and that, that aftermath show was so great. Um, but it's a shame they couldn't sell this to somebody else, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. I do have to say, I mean, um, what Leah Remini did, and because of who she is and she had, you know, people know who she is and people wanted to see her, um, you know, and then this message getting out, it was really important because she, she put a face on it, you know? So I think what she, you know, accomplished was, was pretty great. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, it's an but amazing show. you know what? So many people that I've talked to, um, they, that had nothing to do with ever with Scientology and they just sat down and watched the whole, they binged it, you know, like they want to know and they're fascinated and they just, you know, so they, you know, the public can certainly handle more, more uh, shows. 
they they want to see more. Oh, I think so. Yeah. And um, let's talk about what's been going on with you since then. Um, I think we did write about your son. What a stand-up guy. Yeah, he totally is. And wavered. Uh, so have you heard anything about your daughter since then? It's been five years now. Uh, yes, I have. Um, basically, uh, my their dad was the one really enforcing, uh, don't talk to your mother. Okay. And of course, that was in, be, mainly because of his wife who was on OT8. And or maybe she's finished OT8 by now. Anyway basically just do not communicate with your, with your mom. So my, as you know, my son, but my, the, the dad, he died of COVID last year. Oh, and, uh, yeah, wow. it's, it's really a shock. He died way too soon because I had visions of us reconnecting and being friends again. You know, I mean, I totally intended to get that cleaned up one day, you know, because he's such a nice guy. I mean, he is he, a very funny guy, nice guy. But anyway, um, funny, I, nice I, guy that was making sure your kids didn't talk well, to you, though. I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say, I mean, his wife was the one who kind of, you know, pushed him. To, I, I, I wasn't there. OK, but they, they were very staunch, you know, Scientologists. And that that's how they believe you do not put anybody that's not aligned with you in your in your area and that includes your kids um like i said my son you know that was a big disconnect with he and his dad uh, early on and um but nance my daughter she uh it was mother's day 2020 okay and she sent me a text and oh yeah, she sent me a text message and she didn't say her name. She just said, Happy Mother's Day. I get this text for Happy Mother's Day. Now, I knew she had moved out of Clearwater. And so I was looking, trying to, okay, where's this area code? So I go, okay, Google, what area code is blah, you know? <laughs> and so I said, so I sent back a text. I said, is this Nancy? And she goes, yes. So we texted only texted. We didn't talk for, for days, but we texted back and forth and it was quite a reunion. And then my, my mother passed also in 2020. Um, and so she flew out here because Nancy did. You know, my daughter did. She flew out here. So that was the, the actual physical reunion. Wow. And, and then since then, she and I went on a road trip to um, Nashville and then to Graceland, uh, and we loved Graceland. We were there. We went, I got to tell you, we went to Graceland. We went in at 10 o'clock in the morning. We, have you ever been there? No. Nope. Okay. We did not leave Graceland till 530 in the afternoon. Wow. We were there all day. You can be there all day. I mean, there, there was enough to do enough to see. And I have lots of other stories about that, but you know, you, you know, I wasn't going to mention it here, but um, I would love to tell you, you know, um, but anyway, we have, and then, then I went to get my grandchildren after we went to, to Memphis, we went and got the, got the, uh, family, the grandkids and went to Dollywood because they live, they live real close to Dollywood. So it's, uh, that was so amazing. And I just, yeah, since, since that time, I'm just 
oozing life. There's just grandchildren everywhere. My son got married and he had a baby. His wife had a baby. So I've got a new grandson. I've got three grandchildren from her. And it's just like, it's just wonderful. Carol, I didn't know this was going to be a reunion, reunion story, a reunification story. <laughs> you're, you're still on my disconnection list. <laughs> I saw that. I go, I better, I better let him know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty big story. And well, and, you know what? It was a complete miracle because uh, my church was praying for me ever since I walked in their door and to, that this would happen. And like she just called out of like nowhere. You know, 2020 was a traumatic year for everybody because right. of the pandemic. But I said, well, there were some good things that happened, you know. <laughs> so has she ex told you about, did you revisit that whole episode and you know did what? she confirm what? that she was told to leave? And That's an, an area kind of I would rather we didn't really talk about. Okay. If that's okay with you. Okay. And, but, you know, yeah, it was it was touched on. And, um, so, but, uh, is she still in Scientology and you guys are just oh, like, no, no uh -uh. she's left Scientology too. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> but they're, they're kind of low profile. Okay. They, they don't live in, um, you know, Clearwater's front yard anymore. Cause they used to be right there and now they're, you know out of the mains. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Do you know how rare this is? I mean, people on my, people on my disconnection list stay there forever. This is like the first one in probably almost 10 years. It's so rare. She said she just really missed me. She wanted her mother. Oh, that's great. And you know, yeah, it was, uh, it was completely amazing. It's it's so rare for this to happen. I'm I'm so pleased that you're willing to talk about it because people want to hear these kind of stories. Yeah, I mean, some, some of those people have been on that disconnection list for so long, and they have very little hope. And I think this gives them hope that you know not only did Scientology through your ex husband uh, tell and convince your daughter to cut off all contact with you. But when you flew down to Florida with a film crew to try to see her, Scientology found out about it and had her move to get yeah. out of there. Um, that's how much your daughter was invested in all this. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2015. Yeah. So seven it was, years. It was actually 2016. 2016. Yeah. 20, yeah. 2016 when that happened. Yeah. And then four or five years later, out of the blue, she contacted you. I mean, this is what I can tell you what people I talk to are, are just hoping someday they get that text, they get that phone call right. from their son or daughter. And it's so wonderful to hear that you did. I mean, yeah. what a moment that must have been. It was. It was through the roof. It, was, it definitely was. And also with, I mean... I know there are certain people that have to kind of dance around um, uh, the, the involvement in Scientology and, and sure, maybe, you know, there are certain things that you don't want to get into with your daughter, but she's not, she's out. So you guys are just, yeah, they're just so, getting together like mother and daughter. That's right. That's, we talk, um, you know, we talk every day. We talk oh. you know, and 
you know, she was out here. They just came out for a visit. And, you know, it's just we, we went to Santa Cruz. You know, we went on, you know, we just did all kinds of fun family stuff, you know, and just had fun. And now we're, we want to go, go back and go to Dollywood again. So we're, you know, planning trips and how we can do this because we're still like thousands of miles apart. But, you know, we're on and the all this family fun and love and connection yeah. Yeah. is only occurring because Scientology is not in the picture. That's right. That's right. Incredible. Yeah. Well, I didn't, my son, my, I mean, my grandson, her, her first, I first met him he was a, when he was a year old and they, they moved to Clearwater to, so they could be near me. And I had a, when she first came to town, I had a Liberty, you know, which is you have 24 hours off. Right. Right. That was in 2007. And that's when the basics hit. Yeah. And, I did not have another liberty until I actually blew and left. In what year? It, in 2007. I left in 2008. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it was a full year. I'd had no other time off. Every once in a while, she would drive down behind the sandcastle at like two or three in the morning and pick me up and drive me <laughs> to her house. And this, And I would sleep there. And I got to see my grandson in the morning, eat breakfast, and then she'd drive me back in, you know, and I and drop me off so I could walk in, you know. <laughs> it was nuts. That's how I saw her. And now how old is your grandson? He is 16 now. 16? Yeah. Yeah. Does he have any memory of all that stuff going on? He has memory of me because, yeah, the, the times that I was, I, I got to see him. I, we played a lot on the floor, you know, as you do and kid, with toys and stuff. And so he remembers me. So that's pretty cool. Oh, I got to tell you a really touching story. When I, in Clearwater, it was Thanksgiving and um, she was with her son by herself. She no, you know, they were together and she wanted to make Thanksgiving dinner for me. Well, you know, the the flag base, they, they do a, a big uh, dinner for all the Sea Org members. That's one thing they usually on all the holidays, they do a big deal anyway. So that's, you know, that was cool. But anyway, I managed to get out, you know, get out of uh, town, get out, get out of the base and go to where she lived. I guess she probably picked me up anyway. It was so sweet, you know, cause she's just by herself, practically a kid herself. And she, she fixed one of those um, turkey breasts that you can do yeah and she just got all these little sides and put them all together in saucepans and we sat there and ate this and we were just and she was so happy and it was just really touching you know that she made this happen so i could have thanksgiving dinner with her anyway just a little story that was sweet so so that shows how close you were yeah, we were very close we and i mean then... when she left when she left the sea org this is this is not like leaving because you know we were disconnected i cried for days that's how close we were in in you know as a registrar and you know about we we live by statistics right and so and my stats were usually up you know i mean i had good stats and i was doing okay but you know there's an um where i clear all this up i guess with people but don't that don't know this terminology but there's a condition of normal and then there's a condition of emergency and usually emergency is just a little a little down you know it's a little down and it's an it's like 
it's kind of sending out warning warning bells saying you know look out this is you know you if you don't handle this you're gonna plummet right well for five weeks in a row i was in emergency i was like down like five or ten dollars i mean this is like ridiculous that doesn't happen to a registrar i was down like so little like a hundred dollars you know it was like a real message like i had given up or something you know i mean it was like i couldn't i just couldn't get it together and i mean i could have i'm surprised they didn't take me off post and send me to the rpf or something but you know fortunately they tried to handle me and i eventually came out of it but i i cried i mean i cried for days to the point where they had to do something because i couldn't function that's how close we were and yet they somehow convinced her to cut you out of her life for several yeah. years yeah eight years eight years we didn't see each other for eight years but you're making up for it now yeah what did your brother what did your son think about all that your your daughter your well <laughs> when she first came out and i told him i said listen you gotta let's be nice now you know she's here because he was still like had this grudge right but they it was fast they went they got over it real fast now they're tight you know he moved down to where she lives she lives in that same area now in the same uh state same same town and um he's thriving there he really loves it you know get out of california when you can and um so yeah they're they're besties now oh what a great situation yeah, yeah. i'm so happy for you carol thank you wow so i mean i'm i'm sorry that the siren episode about you never aired but uh things turned out great anyway turned out they turned out i thought if it ever did air um that could be a little tail end follow-up you know at the end how, how things turned around i mean it's it still would be good to, for people to see it all, yeah. all of it, you know uh yeah there was good, some good stuff good stuff well, do you remember anything in particular a particular scene or anything that you wish people could see I think right in the beginning, when we all started talking about, you know, with, with Jamie, really getting to know who Jamie was, I thought a lot of that, um, I thought that that would be really good to see because there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of things going on about, you know, how Scientology, uh, how, how the Sea Org rather kind of uh, operated and how, you know, who we could talk to. And it was, I just felt the content was, was uh, worth showing. Yeah, I mean Jamie. If you've seen him on stage, he's electrifying. He is. He's he's so talented. He's amazing. And I think this, I haven't seen him in person, but I've seen him on you know his videos. And then I think you know this series was, you know, gonna make him, you know, uh, really front and center. And I and I was just very curious to see how he was gonna interact with each story. I wish I could have seen that too. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, well. no, it would be it'd be interesting to see how he did. Yeah. But wow, what a what a wonderful much, you yeah. made me so happy, Carol, because I've had so few stories like this that turned out so great. Wow. What a great result. I'm so happy for you. And thank you so much for telling us about the good news here uh, at the podcast. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right. Thank you very much, Carol. Okay. Bye-bye.